Amen. We celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ lives in us, and I appreciate you sharing that through song this morning. Uh, as we get uh, started this morning, as I prepare to share with you, first of all, I just want to thank you for your faithfulness and uh, just the, the way that you guys come out every week to be a part of the ministry here. It is a blessing to be able to, uh, to, to be with people who love the Lord and just to share and fellowship with one another. I was talking with uh, the board this past week, and I posed a question to them. I simply asked, how many of you would say that this church is in a good place right now? In other words, how many of you think that we are in a healthy church? Everyone in the room raised their hands, and then I asked the natural follow-up question, how do you define a healthy church? There were many answers that were given, and I would absolutely agree with every one of them. Uh, they talked about the loving nature of the church. When people walk in, they feel welcome, they feel loved. They talked about being in a place where the Word of God would be preached faithfully. They talked about the presence of both young and old, so that basically it's not just one group, but it is our desire and intention to reach every generation. They also talked about uh, seeing people grow in their faith, being discipled. And of course, those are all great things. There was one other thing that I think each of the board members uh, may have mentioned. They talked about the fact that we are reaching other people for Christ, or the fact that uh, the church is growing numerically. And I want to talk for a few minutes about this this morning. But before I do, let me remind you that a little more than a year ago, the leadership of the church sat down to identify various strengths that already existed within the church, as well as to identify who we wanted to be moving forward. The result of that time was to identify, we were able to identify three initiatives that would become priorities for us as a church. It doesn't mean that these are the only things that we would do, but it simply means that if we are going to be successful at a, as a church, then we need to be good at these three particular things. All three of these items were actually mentioned as we talked about what a healthy church should look like. They include developing a strong next generation ministry, which means youth and children's ministry. We need to make sure that the church doesn't die with the current generation, but rather for many, many years to come, our young people, our children, and our teenagers will be the church that will continue to present the gospel to the world around us. But in order for that to happen, we need to be pouring into the lives of our young people now. It is said that over 90% of those who will come to Christ will do so before the age of 12, which means that we must be intentional about reaching the next generation. It includes developing strong discipleship ministries, helping people to become more and more like Christ, and being intentional about it. For far too long, the church has existed almost assuming that because people come to church, they will become disciples, but that's not necessarily the case. I remember a little more than a year ago, about a year and a half ago, I was meeting with our Wednesday night group, which is primarily folks who have been a part of the church for a long period of time. And there were probably about 25 people who were present, and I simply asked the question, how many of you have ever been intentionally discipled? Four hands went up. 
These are people who they've been in the church probably longer than I have been alive, yet we've never been intentional to make disciples. We want them to believe in Christ, but we need them to be disciples because that's what Christ called us to do. And then, of course, the, the third uh, element of this is we need to be a church that is outreach-oriented, reaching the lost, sharing the good news of Christ with those who need them. Now, there's no doubt that we have made incredible strides in each of these areas, but I will caution you that we are, first of all, nowhere close to where we need to be in these areas. But second, I caution you that we are also in a very dangerous position as a church. It would be very easy for us to get overly excited about progress that has been made, thinking that somehow we have arrived, and then let our guard down. But if we are to ever truly become what God desires this church to be, then we must be intentional to stay the course. My mind goes back to the Israelites when they went in to take possession of the promised land. It could be argued that the most dangerous time for them was not when they crossed through the Jordan River, nor was it when they faced the people of Jericho. Instead, the most dangerous time for them was after they had experienced some success. They grew satisfied and no longer worked with the same intensity and intentionality. Did you know that they never actually took possession of the entire land. They never completely evicted the former residents. We need to be careful to not become satisfied with being good enough. Well, let's talk about one of those important initiatives this morning. Let's focus on the need for this church and, by the way, all other churches to become outreach-oriented. Although we are all gifted in different capacities, we are all called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ to a broken and sinful world. What are you doing to accomplish that calling? I could answer that question by identifying some great opportunities that exist within the local church that we are doing corporately. I think of this uh, this coming, actually it's about a week and a half from, from today, uh, we have the Trunk or Treat event where we'll have 14, 1,500 people that will come onto the church property. And I love the idea of being able to hand out tracts and to be able to tell people about Jesus Christ using events that people are already going to be participating in and now giving us the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Last year we started participating in the, the Central Christmas Parade and it may not seem like that big a deal, but it it is a big deal because it's an opportunity for us to show the world that this season of Christmas is about much more than Santa Claus and elves and all of those other things that sometimes we've made it about. It's an opportunity for us to tell them about Jesus Christ. And it's great to have those corporate opportunities, but really my question is not about what the church is doing as a corporate organization, but what are you doing as an individual? to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. In Romans 1.16, the verse that I read to you earlier, the Apostle Paul declares that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew 
and then to the Gentiles. To him, there was no more important task or calling, whether he was in a home or a temple or even in a prison. The agenda was always the same, to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Even when he knew that his boldness would result in perhaps an angry mob or an arrest or possibly even death, he never backed down and he never watered down the message. In essence, he would live out the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, where he says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs, or if you read from the King James Version, from the rooftops. The Apostle Paul had been the recipient of incredible grace. He was not only a sinner, but he was one who stood in the way of the church, those who would pursue Christ. What he deserved was judgment and wrath, yet God would offer him a second chance. How could Paul Keep quiet about a God who had been so good to him. He couldn't. Paul would shout it from the rooftops. But Paul is not the only one who should be shouting from the rooftops, proclaiming God's goodness and his faithfulness to the world around us. Listen to the words of Psalm chapter 95. And this is, by the way, even before Jesus Christ has come, consider the incredible goodness of God that is displayed in the coming of a a Redeemer, a Messiah. This is before that has even come. Listen to what the psalmist writes. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud, thankful for his salvation. In other words, if you have been saved, if you appreciate God's love for you and what he has done for you, then shout it so that the world can hear it. Now, I want to challenge you with this this morning. You see, I think that all of us understand the need to share the gospel with others. And I think that generally we all want to do that. But I think that for the most part... We just want to do it in subtle ways. In a manner, we are elusive. We're in disguise and we we don't want everyone to see us as weird. We don't want to rub anybody the wrong way. We might offend somebody. And we certainly don't want to appear strange. Well, here's my challenge. Be strange. 
Some of you have already got this down pat. <laughs> Be strange. Stand out as unique. Stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. Again, I challenge you to be like the Apostle Paul. He asked the Ephesian church to pray for him. Why would he want them to pray? Because he was afraid he might begin to water stuff down. He was afraid that he might not be as bold as what he had been before. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20 says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This guy is in prison and he's asking for continued boldness. Pray for me that I may continue to proclaim it fearlessly even though I'm in prison. He sticks out like a sore thumb. He is strange, but he's not satisfied. He doesn't care what they think because he knows what they need. We need that same boldness. You know, a moment ago I said that Paul doesn't care what they think because he knows what they need. The truth is that there is only one way to salvation. Back in our original passage in Romans 1 verse 16, Paul declares that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation. That means that there is no other way. This is an exclusive offer. There's no other way to get salvation. That means that no matter how good your friend is, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ if they are to experience salvation. That means that no matter how spiritual a person may be, Christ is still the only way to heaven. It's what they need. And now I am going to be strange, and I might rub people the wrong way for a moment. Just as spirituality and goodness is not enough to grant someone salvation, Neither is this token version of Christianity where we claim to be Christians, but we live like we're not. Going through the motions or simply taking on the name of Christ does not make salvation. Let me repeat that. Going through the motions or simply taking on the name of Christ does not make salvation. In fact, according to Romans chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Salvation is not something that comes just because you went to church on Sunday morning. It's not something that comes just because you prayed some prayer at some point or another, or just because you tell other people, yes, I'm a Christian. Righteousness actually is not displayed in your name, but in the way you live your life. Salvation that Christ offers is one that promises reward at the end of this life, absolutely. Absolutely. 
I love the idea that when I die, it is not the end, but rather it is simply a transition into the best part of what God has for me, where sin will never be a struggle again. I'll never have to deal with sickness or pain or sorrow or any of that. That's a wonderful truth. But the salvation that God offers is not just for after we die. God desires that we be transformed today. Embrace the true salvation that Christ alone can offer. And by the way, when you do, your platform for sharing the gospel will expand greatly. The world around us wants so much to see people who are transformed, who are made whole. They want to know that Christ offers more than a hope for eternity, more than a get out of hell free card. They want to see it lived out in front of them. They want to know that just as you have been victorious, there is hope for them to be victorious as well. Listen to the words of Peter as he was living it out. He had just healed a lame man and now he's being questioned about what he had done. He says this, actually according to Acts 4, 8-12, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. As Peter spoke, the religious leaders that he was addressing, they are basically rendered silenced. They might want to argue about Christ, but they cannot argue about the evidence that is sitting right in front of them. And the same is true with us. Maybe there are those who want nothing to do with Christianity and all they want to do is argue about faith and religion and they want to talk about all kinds of things. But we can make sure that what they see is truly genuine in us. You see, it's not enough to say I'm a child of God. We ought to be evidence of the power of salvation. Let them argue about Christ but leave no room for them to argue about your transformation. Did you hear that? Let them argue about Christ, but let us leave no room for them to argue about your transformation. You live it out in front of them. They may say, well, I don't know if Christ is really the only way, but don't leave any room for them to debate whether or not you're truly transformed because they ought to see it in the way you live your life. The last thing that I'll share with you this morning is the fact that while this is an exclusive offer and Jesus truly is the only way, it is also all-inclusive. Our passage in Romans 1.16 says that it's a gift for the Jew and for the Gentile. In case you didn't know this already, that's everybody. You are either a Jew or you are a Gentile, 
But God says that regardless of who you are, this offer is for you. This exclusive offer of salvation is for anyone who will put their trust, put their faith in Jesus Christ. He offers everyone this opportunity for redemption, but it is only through him. You've heard it said before, Jesus Christ declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So as Jesus Christ declares that, he's talking to Jew and Gentile. Later in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, it would be put this way. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. So know that this offer of salvation is available to all those who will believe, who will make Jesus the Lord of their lives. I will tell you, the most uncomfortable part of this idea is the fact that that means people that maybe we don't necessarily like. There are individuals who have lived incredibly immoral lives, yet God offers even them the opportunity to be redeemed and forgiven, to be set free to no longer live those incredibly immoral lives. We look in, in our minds, at times we almost justify who should be saved. You know, we look at this guy, and he's a pretty good guy. I could see God reaching out to him. I mean, it makes sense that God would want him to be a part of eternity. And then you come across this when you think, oh, I don't know if God wants him in there. But the reality is, it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That means there'll probably be some people that you don't necessarily get along with. That God will reach into their lives and he will offer forgiveness and transformation to even them. I remember years ago, I, I shared this story with you guys already about me reaching um, my dad. And I had the opportunity to share with him and uh, he was not a good man. My dad was... Uh, he was very selfish. He was very much, it was all about him. And uh, I remember uh, he was never there for us as a kid, uh, but I, I remember when I had the opportunity to connect with him. My sister had gotten in touch with him, and she gave me his number, and I called him and just began to reconnect a little bit. Eventually, he would actually come and even spend Christmas with us, uh, which was a great thing because he had to ride in the car with me. It was about two and a half hours each way, uh, so he was a captive audience where I got to share the gospel with him. And of course, that was a thrill for me. I'm not sure. I think by the time we got to my house, he was almost relieved to be somewhere where he didn't have to sit and listen to me for the next two and a half hours. Uh, and then, of course, the ride back was basically the same thing. Um, but I remember, in spite of the fact that he lived a horribly ungodly life, the thought was there constantly, but there's still a soul that needs to be redeemed. I remember, actually it's my mom, and I can talk about her for a minute because she's not here today. She's out with her sister, so it's okay for me to talk about her. I remember my mom, uh, I was talking to her about me reaching out to my dad, and her first thought, there was a sense of, no, you can't do that. 
Because she had been the one who had been faithful to us for the years, and she had been. She had been an amazing mom. She had done everything that normally a husband and wife would have done, a mother and father would have done. She basically fulfilled both of those roles. And there was this sense that he hasn't been there for you, but now you want a relationship with him. It's not fair. I remember asking the question, but what if by establishing that relationship, dad might end up finding Christ and spend eternity in heaven. Now, it's not fair. Okay, I'll give you that. It's probably not fair. Because you're talking about someone who has lived for himself all of his life and then to be offered that opportunity for forgiveness and redemption and salvation. And at the last minute, he receives it and he didn't have to live the way that the rest of us have had to live. And it may not seem fair, but man, what a beautiful opportunity God offers. You see, in this room, some of you received Christ at a very, very young age. And you have lived faithfully for the Lord. I was talking with someone this morning, talking about at the age of eight, they made a decision for Christ and now they continue to live for him. Man, I celebrate that. And I am so grateful for your faithfulness. But I want you to know that not all of us were eight years old. But the same grace is being extended to those who perhaps they've lived a long time in sin. And God is now saying, I want you to be a part of a relationship with me. You guys know that basically the night that my dad would actually die, uh, my brother would have the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And today, my dad's in heaven. And I celebrate that. I, I regret that for years, not that he... I don't feel like somehow he cheated the system. I think he cheated himself. See, he lived a defeated life for a long time. And I regret the fact that he didn't find that freedom and victory even sooner. And I'm so grateful for God's grace, the fact that he reaches into the most ungodly of people's lives. And he says, I want you to be a part of my life, my relationship. My question for you today is this. What are you doing individually to share the gospel with a world that desperately needs it? You see, it's, it's nice to say that we're going to be a church that focuses on evangelism, telling the good news. And it's nice that we provide events and opportunities to be able to, to introduce people subtly to the gospel. But what are you doing as an individual to share the gospel with people in your life? I encourage you to participate in corporate opportunities to reach the lost, but let us also do it on our own. I challenge you today to share the gospel with at least one person over the next seven days. I always have people say, well, pastor, give us a challenge, some way to kind of push us and make it very practical in our lives. Okay, this is it. Over the next seven days, I challenge you to find at least one individual where you will share your story. This is my story. This is my song. Let me tell you why I am who I am. Find one individual and tell them about Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for you. Then come back next week and let's talk about it. 
Let's celebrate the fact that the church is no longer silent, but rather we have the greatest truth, the greatest hope that the world could ever find. Let's celebrate the fact that we have the opportunity to share that with a broken world around us. Stop worrying about what everybody else thinks because you know what they actually need. I challenge each of you today to share the gospel with at least one person. Tell them your story and maybe even invite them back to church next Sunday so that they too can basically grow and become the people of God that you yourself are becoming. I ask everyone of you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are grateful that someone reached into our lives, that someone cared enough about us that they would share their story with us and that we would be invited in to have our own story. Lord, I pray that you would now make us the ambassadors that you have created us to be. I pray that you would give us the boldness, like the Apostle Paul, who even when he was rejected, even when he was imprisoned, he wanted even more so to speak fearlessly this truth, this love, this grace. Lord, I pray that you would give us a boldness so that we might speak clearly the word of God, into the lives of other people. That they too might respond and that we might see people saved. Well, we know that salvation doesn't come just because of us. It is the work of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that even now you would go before us. That your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to those in our lives, our family members, our friends, our co-workers, I pray that you would speak into their lives and you would cause them already to be open so that as we go and boldly proclaim your message, that you will have already planted the seed. And I pray that you would simply use us to proclaim this good news to them. Lord, I pray that we would see fruit. I pray that lives would be changed, not just that we would see individuals become believers, even though we want to see that. But Lord, we want to see individuals become disciples. I pray that you would help us to do our part in reaching this world for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I do want to challenge you very clearly, and I want to look with hope. Actually, I was thinking this morning... It's been a couple months now since we've done a baptism service. Maybe some of the same people that you're going to be reaching will be participants in our next baptism service. And what an incredible joy to see the people we love, to see them find hope in Jesus Christ. Greatest joy probably I've ever experienced is leading other people to Christ. I invite you to be a part of that as well. Thank you for being with us this morning. I encourage you to come back. Don't forget, next week we have our homecoming service. It will be all in one service here at 1030 in this building. So please come be a part of it, and we'll have a lunch to follow as well. Thank you for being a part of our service today. Go in peace.